The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by Alumni Ventures. Invest with confidence. Discover the power of venture investing with Alumni Ventures, America's largest venture firm for individual investors. Learn more at av.vc. Hey, everyone, and welcome to our throwback episode. In our throwback episodes, we are reintroducing you to some of our most popular episodes. This is great for new listeners who want to learn more about the work we've done in the past, and it's a great refresher if you've been a listener for a long time. Enjoy. Dre, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man, it's my pleasure. So how would you get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure, I'll give you the 60-second background. I come from the city of Philadelphia, uh, now live in South Florida. I was always into sports. I uh, started playing basketball. Finally got around to basketball around the age of 14. Didn't make my high school team until I was a senior, which doesn't sound like you're going to become anything in sports, but I ended up walking on to play college basketball, ended up playing at the Division three level, which is the third tier of college sports. That's not the level that produces the proofs, but got out of college with my degree from Penn State, and still wanted to play professional basketball. It was a very far-fetched idea even then, but I was able to hustle my way in, make it happen. At the same time, I started publishing videos of my basketball workouts to this brand-new website called YouTube.com, and that's actually where people started to know me was from YouTube, funny enough. And it's it's funny because you do all that work to become a pro athlete, but now everybody knows you from YouTube. So people knew me from YouTube videos, making basketball drills and stuff, and I built an audience there while I'm playing overseas. And then those players, when they learned about my story, that background that I just told you about, they just asked about my mental approach because they're like, that sounds kind of far-fetched, that kind of background to become a pro. How'd you do it? What was your thought process? So I started answering the questions about how I think. And those answers actually became the thing that most people know me for now, which is the, the mental game side of things, as I call it, or bulletproofing your mindset. And this whole philosophy is called work on your game. And what we do now is we help business professionals, entrepreneurs, and of course, athletes take the mental tools to get you to the top 1% in sports. And we translate how those tools will work the same way in the business world and in everyday life. So that's what I do now. This is great, Dre. This is great. And um, I love this for a number of reasons. First of all, the resilience, grit, discipline, hard work that you displayed to get to where you are. And then the fact that you've been able to to really understand that that part of the game to the point where you can teach other people the mental side, right? Because it takes a different level of understanding to be able to teach somebody effectively, especially something that's um, so intangible as, as, uh, as the mental side. So Take us down this path, because the majority of people who are listening to this, they're business professionals, they're in the working world, they're trying to figure out how they can get an edge by using the skill of negotiation, persuasion, effective communication, that type of stuff. And so for them, why is it so important for them to understand the power of of having a strong mentality? To me, the mental game is the foundation of success, because... I look at the, your mental game the same way as you look at keys to a house. Or let's just say you had a big mansion with 10 bedrooms. And in every single bedroom, every single bedroom has a door with a lock on it. And you have a key to each one of those doors. But each room is a skill of yours. So you might have your communication skill in here, your negotiation skill in here, your whatever you do technically, that skill's in there, your relationship building skills in this room. So each room has one of your skills. When your mental game is not 100% on point, Kwame, what happens is it's not that you lost the skill. It's just that you lost the key. 
you cannot access the skill. So you have it, but you can't use it. And this is where the frustration comes from when people's mental games are not in the right space. And everyone who's listening to us has been in this space where you know you can do something, but because your mind is not in the right space, you don't have that mental clarity, you're not doing it. And then you're looking in the mirror like, what is wrong with me? And there's nothing actually wrong with you. It's just that something in your mental game, there's a blockage that's keeping you from using all of your skills in that moment. So that's why the mental game is so important. And I have always, I've seen this bear out in my own life and in the life of people that I work with, people who've been in my audience, that when you get your mind in the right space, that's when you can access all of your tools and be that full version, that true version, that best version of yourself. We have to have our full resources available and it starts with how we think then it moves to the tangible. So the principles of success in life is be, then do, then have. But a lot of people in life try to start with the doing part. Let me just do stuff, then I'll be it. But it's actually the other way around. You be it first with the way you think, then you do it, and then you get the results. This is fantastic. Yeah, I, I love this approach. Really, really do. One thing I always talk about is that the fact that when it comes to negotiation, conflict resolution, all this stuff, it doesn't make sense to give recipes to people who are afraid to get in the kitchen. You know, so you could listen to this podcast over and over and over again. But if you don't have the confidence to put the tools into action, then it's like you said, you don't have the key to unlock that. And so based in the, on your experience, where do those mental blocks come from? Wow, that's a great question. Deep question. We could go a whole hour just on that alone. <laughs> <laughs> so those the mental blocks, where they come from, a lot of times these days, Kwame, they come from the outside. Because now we have these smartphone devices where we can spend our whole day, literally our whole day, if we want to, we got to get away from us looking at what everybody else is doing, listening to what everybody else is saying, reading what everybody else is writing. And even though there's value in that, I mean, that's how we connect it by using our smartphones and seeing what else was out there. The problem is when we let it get away from us is we stop listening to our own minds and now we're listening to what everybody else has to say. We lose touch with our instincts. We lose touch with that inner voice because we're being inundated with everybody else's voice. We're being inundated with externalities. So that's one way that it happens. Another way that it happens is when, based on who we're listening to and what voices we're hearing, we start allowing what they're saying to mean more to us than what we say to ourselves. And one metaphor that I use for people I talked about in one of my books is the concept of listening through the bones. Then anyone here who, even if you're not a singer, any, every, all of us have sung before, even if we don't do it in public, right? When you sing, it sounds a certain way. Like me right now, as I'm talking, my voice sounds a certain way to me, but it sounds completely different to everyone else. So when I listen to this recording, my voice will sound different when I listen to it than how it sounds as I'm talking right now. And the reason is when you listen to sound coming from anything other than yourself, it has to travel through airwaves to get to your ears. But when you speak and you listen to your own voice, that sound is being conducted through the bones in your body. So the sounds that come through the bones sound different than the sounds that come through the air. And when we listen too much to the sounds coming through the air, that's anything other than ourselves, it drowns out the sounds traveling through the bone. This is what I mean when I talk about the instinct. And the difference between the instinct and the externalities is that instinct does not yell. It doesn't scream. It doesn't have a, a megaphone. It only speaks in a quiet, very, very quiet tone to where you have to shut everything else down to hear it. This is why people meditate. This is why people do yoga so that they can hear that internal voice finally, because when there's too much outside noise, you can't hear it. And your instinct is not going to compete with the outside world to get your attention. It's just going to speak at that same tone all the time. And if you are allowing all those other voices to crowd it out, you just won't hear it. 
until you get to the point that you realize that you're lost. You realize that you're not accessing your skills and you're like, all right, where am I at? And a lot of times we have to find a coach or a mentor or a show that can remind us of this. Then we say, okay, you know what? I need to shut everything else down. Let me put this phone down for a minute and let me listen to myself again. And that's when we get back in touch with ourselves. So I think I kind of gave you two answers, but it's basically the same answer. It's listening to everything other than ourselves. That's really where we start to lose track of that mental game connection. And nowadays with our devices and the internet, all of this is devised to keep us not paying attention to ourselves. The more we use it, the more it gets us to want to use it. So that's the battle that's going on with all of us nowadays is using the device, but not letting it use us. All right us using that as a tool and not them using us as a tool. That makes sense. Absolutely. Makes a lot of sense. And you, you're absolutely right. And um, one of the things people, uh, people say often is um, learning to separate the signal from the noise. Like what is the noise that I need to block out? Then what is the signal, the actual piece of information that's valuable? And when we think about it, I mean, the, the percentage of noise to signal is pretty significant, right? There's so much noise and What's interesting is that we have this, this belief, like this generalized philosophical desire to stay informed. And for podcast listeners, I'm using air quotes saying <laughs> informed. But what does that really mean? Because we say, be informed. Okay, well, now I'm just going to consume as much information as possible. But is all of that valuable, right? That's the thing. When you think about medicine, you think about the minimum effective dose. The doctors aren't just saying, take all of this medicine, take as much as you want, like candy. No, that's not, that's not what they should be <laughs> doing, right? They're saying, what is the smallest dosage of medication I can give you while still getting you the results that you want? And I think that's what we have to start doing with the, the information overload that we're dealing with. Figure out what it is that we need to know, learn to stop there, and then process it. Start to listen to that inner voice, like you're saying, so you can develop those instincts and start to overcome those mental blocks. Exactly. And what I call what I call it, what you just said is the 10 percent rule when it comes to information and action. And 10 percent rule is pretty simple. You only need 10 percent of the information to go and do something and go and take action. You don't need to take in all the information. And it's actually, if you think about it, logically impossible to take in all the information because it's too much information. You don't have the time nor the capacity to take it all in. And in the time that it takes you to take in a certain amount of info, more of it has been published and shared and put out there it's kind of like youtube videos they say what they say like two hours of video gets published every second or something like that so even if you put on double x speed you two x speed you still can't catch up it's it's literally impossible so you only need 10 percent of information to go do the thing you're going to do you'll learn the rest through what i call activity knowledge through doing things and there are there are a few exceptions to the 10 percent rule so i would say uh, getting married flying a plane performing surgery those things, you probably want to get all the information, but everything else, mostly everything else, 10%, you're good. You're spot on, man. Because I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard uh, people say, yeah, I've been um, learning about negotiation, learning about negotiation, learning about it, but I haven't done anything yet. The opportunities are coming up and I still right. feel like I need to learn before I put things in action. And like you said, you have enough to start taking mm -hmm. action. And then the thing is, you will learn through doing. There's some there's certain information that you cannot get about yourself, about the situation, about your skills, about the other person that you it's only available through taking action. Right. And so right. There you will if if information is the block, activity provides you with invaluable information as well. Exactly. So you got to be out there doing it. Exactly. Hi, I'm Kevin Kanapke, and I'm the chief operating officer here at the American Negotiation Institute. 
Did you know our company offers completely customizable negotiation workshops? The negotiation and conflict resolution skills that your team will learn from these workshops are beneficial across all professions, but they're especially useful in procurement, purchasing, sales, sourcing, and contract management. Our calendar is filling up quickly, and we even have some workshops scheduled for next year. If you think you might want one, I'd suggest reaching out soon so you don't miss out. Check out the link in the description to learn more. Also, be sure to check out our YouTube, LinkedIn, and Instagram accounts to see our daily negotiation content. Thanks for listening. Hey, you, I'm Andrew Seaman. Do you want a new job or do you want to move forward in your career? Well, you should listen to my weekly show called Get Hired with Andrew Seaman. We talk about it all and it's waiting for you. Yes, you, wherever you get your podcasts. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors, I'm Laura Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast. Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. And so one of the things we talk about a lot is, is confidence on the show. And so I know this is closely tied to the mindset. So I want to get your perspective on what confidence is and how we get it. Yeah, well, confidence is one of the, the whole work on your game philosophy has those four pillars of discipline, confidence, mental toughness, and personal initiative. So first in the sports world, a lot of athletes would ask me, especially young up and coming athletes, they would have challenges with performance anxiety. They didn't call it that at the time, but a lot of athletes would say things like, Dre, well, look, I practice and I feel great in practice when I'm in the gym by myself or when I'm with my teammates or playing with guys that I know, I do my thing. I show all my skills. But then when I get into an environment where I don't know everybody, where I'm going up against an opponent that I've never seen before and all these people are watching me, all of a sudden, I'm not using any of my skills. So similar to the analogy I said earlier, that is like you have the keys or you lost the keys. The skills are still there, but you can't access the skills. So confidence is the framework that I use for that is what I call the super you. And the super you is the concept of you being at your highest possible level of confidence and then even taking it a step further. And it goes against the concept of what many people call fake it till you make it, which is when you're pretending to be somebody or something that you're not. And that's supposed to you know, help you become that person. You pretend long enough, eventually you become it. I don't agree with fake it till you make it because the subconscious mind takes everything you say literally. And if you tell yourself that you're faking it, what happens is eventually your mind is going to, is like, all right, eventually the clock's going to strike 12, right? It's like the story of Cinderella. When that clock tr- strikes 12, you go back from the beautiful ball gown back to the rags. And now everybody's looking at you like, hey, what happened here? So the concept of the super you is you not faking it to make it is you actually becoming it. You deciding that you're going to be this type of person. And it doesn't have to be any individual that, you know, it's just asking yourself, listen, at the level that you want to be at, what would that person, how does that person see themselves when they look in the mirror? How do they show up to work every day? How do they show up to a negotiation? How do they decide to walk into a room? How do they dress? How do they talk to people? How do people feel about them? And you answer those questions. Just see it to the best of your knowledge. And then you start becoming this type of person right now. And this has nothing to do with, this doesn't even have to have anything to do with what you have or your job title or what kind of car you drive, how much money you make, none of that. It's just the being, the beings 
You assume that position, assume the posture, assume the way that you see yourself and the actions will naturally follow. And then the results naturally follow from that. So that's what the, how I look at con- confidence and how it's built from the inside up. That's brilliant. Yeah, because when you think about it, who you are is really a compilation of what you do, right? And so if you say to yourself, this is who I am, like, what, what do I want to be? What would that person do in this situation? I'm going to start doing that. Time after time, you, you start to become that. And what's really interesting, Dre, is that I've recognized, especially in my life, when I start doing this, other people start to see me the way that I want to see myself before I'm fully there, because they're just seeing the external manifestation of this behavior, right? Kwame's doing these things, therefore he is this level of confidence. When I'm not quite there yet, I'm still growing into it. And so there's like a positive feedback loop that happens because there's gonna be the things that you do, then there's gonna be the world's reaction to the things that you do. And so if you start to behave in these ways, then you're gonna get positive feedback from the world, which makes you feel more confident in what you're doing which makes you to do, leads you to do it even more. Exactly. And what you just said there is the way that the world sees you is the opposite. They see what you do, and then they assume this is who you are. Where for us as the individual, it's who you are leads to what you do. So the world sees it backwards. And this is why many of us, because we're paying so much attention to everybody else, we think we need to do it backwards. But it's actually the other way. You be it first, then the world sees it, then you do it. The world sees it, and then they assume this is who you are being. So it's just understanding the two different equations. But Absolutely. you just explained it right there. There you go. I love it, man. I, there, I, um, my, my degree is in psychology, so I, I love psychology. I was really into sports psych. And one of the things that they always talk about is visualization. And so when it comes to your methodology and your approach to mindset, confidence, and all those things, what role does visualization play? Oh, it's everything. I was I was visualizing before I even knew it was called visualization. <laughs> I used to visualize when I was a kid. I mean, we all did. Actually, when we were all seven, eight, ten years old, we would visualize who we want to be. Right. They would always ask us, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be president. I want to be a firefighter. I want to be a basketball player. We all did that visualization because the teachers and our parents would always ask us that. What do you want to be when you grow up? We would visualize things. What happens is as we get older and we start to actually start living certain things out, that vision starts to, it just gets dimmed and it gets, that fire gets put out because we start to face the quote unquote realities of life. And we start to be told, hey, to be more of an adult, to be more mature, we got to be more quote unquote realistic. That, okay. And usually when people say be realistic, what are they telling you? They're telling you, take your ambitions and lower them. All right. They're telling you, take your visions and make them smaller. No, I never heard anybody say, hey, you know what? You said you want to make 100K. Let's be realistic and bring that up to 300K. I never saw anybody do that. <laughs> Real, realistic always means go down. It always means make it smaller. It means aim for less. When realistic could just as easily be make it bigger, 10x that. Try to do more than what you're thinking of doing. So to answer your question, when it comes to visualizing, it is a huge part of the game for me mentally. There's a huge part of anything that I, anybody that I work with when we're talking about, especially building confidence or projecting your success, or even what I just talked about a minute ago in assuming the position, assuming the posture of the person that you want to become, you have to see it first. And I think one of the first ways that I really started seeing the work in my life, Kwame, was I was a freshman in college and I think the book we were reading, I don't know if I remember it, but I think it was The Seven Habits by Stephen Covey. 
And in that book, I, if I remember correctly, he had an exercise that said, imagine you're standing outside of your home and you see somebody walking towards you and they about your size, but they're walking in your direction. And as they get closer, you realize that it's you, but it's you five years from now. Now ask yourself to this, of this future you, what have they accomplished? How do they feel about themselves? How do people see them? You know, what do their friends say about them? How, what is their level of confidence? You know, what are they wearing? What do they do for a living? What have they done up to this point? And you answer all those questions. And now what he says after that is now that you have visualized the future version of you with all your success, start being that type of person right now. And that's the visualization right there. And that's how we can step into that confidence of that being which will lead to the doing, which leads to the having. So all of this stuff kind of works together. It all weaves together. Absolutely. And I, I think there's a clear um, way that we can connect this to negotiation too, right? Because we can, mm-hmm. we can connect it to negotiation in general because we have this um, avatar of who we want to be and then we start acting like that person, then we become that person. But even more specifically, in our specific conversations, we could say, all right, there's a tough negotiation coming up. Maybe it's, uh, I'm in procurement, it's a big negotiation where we're dealing with a supplier. Maybe it's just, I'm getting a new job and I need to negotiate my salary, but I'm afraid. And I I haven't done this in a while and I'm afraid of this conversation. And so you could just say, tomorrow, you look at yourself and you had a successful conversation. And just go through those those questions that you ask yourself in the uh, that exercise, but more on the micro level. How did it go? What mm-hmm. did you do? What was something that surprised right. you? How did you respond? And then you're essentially coaching yourself through this visual, visualization process. Exactly. And just seeing, seeing it before it happens. I mean, and remembering at the same time that the, the mind doesn't know the difference between imagination and reality. So if you can imagine something strongly enough and really connect your emotion to it, you can kind of put yourself in that space today before it actually happens next week. And the stronger you can feel that, the more you connect with it, with the being part. And then that moves into, of course, the actions. You got to do the actions to, to uh, resolve that cognitive dissonance, to resolve that conflict between what you're visualizing and where you're actually at. And that leads to the result. Absolutely. And one of the things that you said before was mental toughness. It's one of your, your pillars. And I think when we're, when we're thinking about athletes, we can see this person. We're like, man, that person's tough. Whatever it is that they're doing, you, they're never out, <laughs> right? They're, they're just always there. And I think it's really clear to see it in sports. Now, when we think about it in the business world, in our interpersonal relationships, how does that same kind of mental toughness manifest itself? Uh, that's a great question. I think one of the biggest things of mental toughness is just understanding that no human being is perfect. All right? We're all imperfect creatures, meaning nobody quote unquote, wins every negotiation. You're not going to get every job you apply for. You're not going to make every shot that you take. You won't win every game you play in. So it's accepting that fact that sometimes things are not going to go our way, but continuing to show up, continuing to be disciplined, stick to your disciplines, whatever that strategy is, stick to the confidence, continue to visualize yourself making every shot, even though you missed, no, you missed 10 out of your 11 shots in the previous game, or you in the lost quote unquote two out of your last three negotiations still visualizing yourself doing well in the next one even though the last one didn't work out that's really what mental toughness is about is understanding that it doesn't mean perfection doesn't mean everything always works it means dealing with the fact that sometimes things will not go the way you want them to go but continuing to show up and i tell people kwame a lot of times the difference between strength and toughness because strength is 
what you're capable of. Strength is like if you go to the gym and you see a guy with really big muscles and he's benching, you know, the whole rack of weights and, you know, he's got the big water jug and, you know, yelling every time he lifts, that's strength, right? That's all the things that you are capable of doing. It's like somebody with big muscles, you see him walk by, like, damn, that guy's pretty strong. Toughness is what you actually do. Strength is what you're capable of doing. Toughness is what you actually do. So toughness, you could have no muscles whatsoever, be the toughest person in the room. Because you can fight through the challenges. You fight through the, the setbacks and the times when things aren't working, but you keep showing up. You have that, some people call it grit or perseverance or stick to or resilience. In this sense, they all mean the exact same thing. Just keep going even when things aren't working. It doesn't mean keep banging your head against the same wall. It can mean, go, let me go get some information. Let me go find someone who knows better than me. Let me see where my approach may not be working. All of that is part of toughness. It's just understanding, hey, I'm still going to get to this outcome. I just may need to change my strategy and change my approach. That is part of toughness. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I've never heard that distinction between strength and toughness, but it's it's absolutely mm-hmm. true. It's absolutely true. And, you know, I think right. there are a lot of people who can perform perfectly, but only under perfect conditions, right? I can, exactly. I can do really well as long as nothing bad happens. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. It's, if everybody gets out the way, I can dunk. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so it's one of those things where we, we yeah. grossly underestimate the amount of resistance that we're going to face day to day. And so one of the mm. ways I've heard it described is that it's unlikely that you will get a flat tire. It's unlikely that you're going to get a call from a loved one saying that something bad happened. It's unlikely that you'll get injured today, right? There, there are a lot of things that are unlikely when considered independently. But day to day, it is very likely that some inconvenience or some difficult situation is going to become apparent. And now you had mm-hmm. a plan. You need to adjust your plan and overcome that situation. And it sounds like that's where the toughness comes into play. Exactly. Just being ready. See, mental toughness is kind of, you just hit it on the head, actually, is not anticipating or hoping that something goes wrong. It's just understanding that something could and being ready to deal with it. So it's not hoping that it happens. It's hoping for the best, prepared for the worst, pretty much. It's understanding that something could happen and you're ready for it when it does happen because it's like the, it's like the punch that you don't see is the one that knocks you out. It doesn't have to be the strongest punch. It's just the one you didn't see coming. So as long as you understand that something might happen and being ready to handle it, that's where the toughness comes in. 100%. Man, this is yeah. great. This is really great, Dre. I appreciate it. Um, before you go, let the listeners know again, about your business, about your books, and all the work sure. that, that they do and how they can get in touch with you. Sure. Well, I have a book that people can get for free if they just cover, help us by covering the shipping. Can I share that? Absolutely. Sure. All right. So this is my book called The Mirror of Motivation. If y'all watching on video, I'm holding it up here, but we subtitle it The Self-Guide to Self-Discipline. The reason I have people start with this book, I have several books, but they start with this one because discipline is the first principle of the work on your game philosophy. And we call it showing up every single day to do the work. And what this book really is about, because I doubt many people are running around, wake up in the morning and say, hey, somebody can give me some more discipline. Now, most people aren't looking for it. Right. But the thing with discipline is a lot of people spend their lives, as we talked about, asking themselves, all right, I have these goals. What do I need to do? All right, I need to do, let me get this information. Let me do this. Let me try this. Let me take this course. Let me do this thing, this, that. Everyone's looking for what they need to do. And the challenge is there are some really hardworking people out there who are really dedicated to their goals, who are doing so much work, yet they still can't get to their outcome. 
And it's not because there's anything wrong with them or their plans. It's because they never ask themselves a key question, which is, who do I need to be? What type of person do I need to be? How do I need to approach life? What does my posture need to be? What does my aura need to be? How do I want people to feel when they see me walk into a room? This book, The Mirror of Motivation, is not going to tell you who to be because that wouldn't make any sense. We are going to give you the frameworks for you to answer the question who you need to be. That's why the book is called The Mirror of Motivation. So for you to look in the mirror, tell yourself who you need to be, then you be it. Then you do what you need to do, and then you get the results you want to have. So I'll give you the book for free. All we ask is that you help us by covering the shipping by going to mirrorofmotivation.com. Just like the title of the book without the word the, mirrorofmotivation.com. We'll give you the book for free. Just help us cover the shipping. And besides that, I am everywhere on the internet. I think I'm on every platform. I'm not on TikTok. I'm on everything else. So everything except TikTok, I'm on there. Uh, my homepage is dreallday.com. But if you go to mirrormotivation.com, you'll be in my ecosystem. You'll get my emails and you know, you'll know about everything going on. Fantastic. Dre, I appreciate it. Thank you yeah. so much for this. And everybody, there are going to be links in the description. Appreciate it, my friend. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. Congratulations, you've just joined an elite club. By listening to a full episode, you're now officially on the Negotiate Anything team. So welcome aboard. What most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episodes of the show. The best things in life lie on the other side of difficult conversations. Keep learning, keep practicing, and keep getting better. Your relationships will improve, your career will soar, and you'll have the confidence you need to get the most out of these crucial conversations. Again, thank you for joining the team. We're excited to have you, and I will see you in the next episode. I'll catch you later.